over the past couple of months, we've been having off the record chats with past guests to get to really the root of the biggest challenges for CPOs. And the number one problem that we've identified is that people leaders are struggling to position themselves as true business leaders with their boards, their CEOs, their leadership teams. And in parallel, there seems to be demand for a new type of HR leader. And as one of the people we spoke to put it, CEOs are struggling to find the CPO that fits their criteria. It took my CEO nine months to find me. Wow. Yeah, nine months. Jeez. So, you know, CEOs are, are looking for, for someone who can speak the business language and not just the people stuff. So, Stephen, I'm curious, like, how do we how do we get here? I mean, it's a great question. Honestly, hiring effective people leaders, it's been a challenge since I've been in the industry, and that's going all the way back to the early 2000s. But today, it feels like the market's fragmented. On one hand, the demand for people leaders has never been higher. But to your point, on the other hand, the job of a people leader has changed dramatically post-COVID. Trends like remote hybrid working, social activism at work, the rise of mental wellness issues, like these are all new trends. So not only has the job of a people leader gotten tougher, but there's also these new skills and competencies that you have to learn and master to be effective in your job. Yeah. And, and, and if you're looking to master these new skills and competencies, you should go check out People Leader Accelerator. Absolutely. They, they are the premier development program for HR leaders at venture-backed, founder-led companies. If that's you and you're looking for ways to enhance your skills, or maybe you're you're trying to position yourself for that for that dream CPO role that you have your eye on, go check them out. It's only offered twice a year, and they're closing applications for their next cohort on December 15th. So if you want to be one of the 15 people in their next cohort, you're going to want to apply ASAP. Go to peopleleaderaccelerator.com. That's peopleleaderaccelerator.com. You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is Melanie Naranjo, VP of People at Athena. Melanie, welcome to the Modern People Leader. How are you doing? I'm doing so great. Super happy to be chatting with you today. Yeah, we were just, uh, for everybody listening, we were just chatting about how it's not too often that you're having a chat about HR and it's three people that are all Latinx. And we think that she might be our first Latinx guest. We still haven't quite figured that out, but uh, we're excited to have you here, Melanie. I feel so honored to represent. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. So we we start every episode the same exact way, and that's with good news stories. So we all go around and share a personal or work-related story from the past week or two. And we like to let our guests go first. So we'll let you kick us off, Melanie. We just had a super great webinar this week. So one really cool thing at my job is that I get to do external facing things as well. Um, we did, we hosted a webinar training on how to HRVP effectively, and we had over 700 people sign up and it was just such a great live session where people were interacting with each other, building community, talking about real challenges and being emotionally vulnerable with each other. And the reason it was so great for me is just, I really, really love creating spaces where HR professionals can just feel heard and seen and just have a space to talk because it can be a really lonely role. It can be a really stressful role. And so the fact that we were able to provide for that one hour, a sense of community for everyone was just, it was amazing. Yeah, I feel like you have a pretty unique role where you get to sit like between marketing and HR. And I bet that's a lot of fun for you. Oh, it is the coolest. I tell everyone that I can, if you're in HR, you should go work for an HR tech company because you will get to have the most unique experience where you are in some ways directly revenue producing and you just get to be such a key stakeholder within the business in terms of business strategy. It's It's been a wild ride. I'm really enjoying it. I totally agree with that. I feel like if you're in HR and work for an HR tech company, you're at a comparative comparative advantage, like just in a sales capacity, so many marketing, whether it's copy and reviewing copy and making sure that your, your voice is one that aligns well with our, the buyer persona, i.e. 
people leaders or in sales, like being able to speak to the value proposition because we've lived it and breathed it, like you're just at an advantage. So if you are that type of person who's looking kind of like I was, who wanted to get out of my, my roots in HR into a more kind of business context, it's the, that's the best path, I think. Oh, totally. It's like given me this new love for the business side of things. Part of me thinks maybe I should have gone to marketing. I don't know. I still love <laughs> HR, but I really like the marketing side of things. And uh, it's just been like, for example, we recently rolled out a management training that we sell as a product. And I wrote some of the modules for the training and I acted in some of them. And it's just, it's amazing. I never would have thought that I would do that. And the other great thing is I don't have to build the business case for HR to my team because they're literally selling to HR professionals. If they don't believe in HR, we're in the wrong business, you know? And and I love, I love the sort of leap that you then made, right? Turning it into your own business, taking this thing that you really love, but combining it with this other thing that you really love. But I think also in some ways gives you that dope, that immediate dopamine effect that you don't always get in HR. Like, I just want to be honest, I, 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 I have a new direct report who I'm sort of like training into the world of HR. And one of the hard truths that we have to acknowledge is that in the HR space, a lot of your wins are deferred. You don't win immediately. You do a thing and then you wait for months and see if it progresses and leads to impact and change. It's not this immediate, I won, here's the score, I got the thing. So it's really interesting getting to combine these different kinds of wins into my everyday work. I, uh, so Steven, when, when we had our prep call a few, I, I don't know if it was weeks ago or months ago, I can't, I don't know how long ago it was my, my sense of time is all off. But one of the things I mentioned to Melanie was before I met, met her or knew of her, I saw her face plastered on the Athena, uh, banner at, I don't know if it was at transform. Remember we were like in that yeah, corner. I remember we were, that. Yeah. 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 And uh, somebody came up, they're like, you need to talk with her. And they just pointed over at the picture of you. So um, <laughs> your, your, your acting and your modeling is paying off for Athena. <laughs> Amazing, wild, humbling, exciting, just all, all the things. Yeah. So who, Stephen, do you want to go next? For good news stories, or do you want me to take it? Yeah, no, I'll go. Um, usually I'm prepared. Daniel knows I'm not prepared because we have a whole internal, we do this asynchronously. My good news is I officially decided this week that I am going to add people leader roles to my job search. And I, I think it's, Related to what we were just talking about, and I, I have been encouraged by Daniel, who, as I've mentioned, if you listen to this show, one of the words I use to describe Daniel is persistent, and he has reminded me multiple times as we've done these running lean. The lean startup is a methodology for how to how to develop an MVP in a product. There's a uh, another methodology for how you approach that process called running lean. And so we're using the run, the lean startup running lean methodology to, to identify what the next product for the modern people leader might be. And if you consider the podcast, like what we're doing right now, this is the OG product. This is product number one. We're, we're looking at expanding that product portfolio. And in these conversations where they're essentially problem interviews, right? And we're having people leaders that we've had on the show, people leaders in our network to validate the problem statements that people leaders are facing just in a general sense. And in these conversations, Daniel's like, we're taking notes, we're listening. And at the end of the conversation, Daniel's like, I kind of feel like you are, you are what they're describing in what some of the challenges are. Like one of the challenges we're hearing is that it if you don't have business acumen, if you don't have experience like in the business, it is hard to get credibility. It's hard to get buy-in. It's hard to get alignment. It's hard to to get stickiness with those decisions if for a variety of different reasons, right? And so we're like having all these interviews and Daniel's like, well, you you have those things. You've literally been the CEO of of a HR tech startup, and so like maybe you should think about that. And so after doing some reflection and journaling on my own, 
I've officially added that to the list. It's a very short list of things I'm looking for. And so, so I, I, I think that's my good news. I feel like that's good news. That's amazing. And like huge plus one to everything Daniel's uh, saying, because I mean, I think, you know, there was a, there was an article that was sort of going viral a little while ago. It was talking about like the new growth trajectory for the CRO, I'm sorry, for the, uh, for the CPO, like chief people officer is COO, right? And, and this concept that CEOs today, they want HR leaders who have that business acumen. So the fact that you have that is amazing because you can speak their language. You can understand how to articulate a persuasive argument that leans on the things that they are optimizing for. And not to say that most CPOs aren't doing that, but you know, I think sometimes it can be hard to verbalize it in a way that leans on the keywords that a CEO is looking for versus the keywords that we might think about. So I think that's immensely powerful. I think you've got a huge asset behind you on this one. And I also think that, uh, you know, outside of all of the things that both of y'all mentioned, it feels like chief people officers or, you know, VP of peoples are being asked to be the face of their company, regardless of whether or not they're an HR tech company. I feel like, you know, we're getting more and more PR pitches from, from like large, like fortune 500 companies that don't operate in the HR tech space, but still are trying to get their HR leader out there. And uh, that's another skill set that you happen to have, Steven. So I'm just like piling on reasons, but you got yeah. me, you got me. I'm in, I'm in. So I'm, I'm excited. Um, we'll see what, what comes. Yeah. Okay. So my good news, and I don't want to jump the gun. So there's a chance I may have to edit this out if it doesn't end up panning out, but, but we might be partnering with another like very well-established HR community on some work here pretty soon. And it's like one of those situations where it feels like everything's sort of lining up perfectly. Their community is slightly different than ours. Like ours is a podcast. There's something different. They complement each other really well. But there's also this like amazing overlap of people that are a part of both communities. It feels like a partnership could help both of our communities grow faster. And um, I'm feeling very optimistic about that. Um, I don't want to share too many details here in the podcast because I don't want to jump the gun, but I'm I'm feeling good about it and I'm, I'm excited. That is amazing. Congratulations to both of you. So cool. Yeah, we, we have a lot going on, maybe too much. <laughs> Steven has to keep keep us focused because I have a lot focus, of ideas. Focus, focus, focus. Yeah. <laughs> Good problems to have. Yeah, those are. Yeah, you're right. And that that's the thing. It, it never. I never imagined, Melanie, that we would be here talking to you. First of all, I thought we were going to do 52 of these, one a week for a year. It would be like a cool thing we did, and obviously we moved on from that. And to be, to literally just be, we're here doing what we've been doing, right? To have these reputable communities like come to us and say, hey, like we think partnering with you guys is like the right move. It's just exciting. And, and it's it's totally it's humbling and it's completely unex, unexpected. And I just got a lot of gratitude for for the you know, we've done a lot of hard work. There's no doubt about that. But what is it? Luck favors the prepared mind. I I, I forget that saying, but it's, it's close enough. It's, yeah, it's close enough. And we and we, we've been, you know, chopping wood and carrying water. And so now seeing the fruits of that labor is pretty cool. That's both amazing and not surprising. I think more than ever, HR people are looking for a really good thought partnership and people who understand the people perspective. I think, unfortunately, a lot of times people sell to HR without knowing HR or being a part of HR. And so you're sort of like selling an argument that gives away that you don't understand the actual HR experience. And so the fact, Stephen, that you are, are partnering with Daniel on this and get to really introduce that HR perspective, I think it makes a difference and doesn't surprise me at all that you're, you all are so successful. It's amazing. Oh, that's very nice. And I, I'm glad that we're having this conversation, but this is uh this is about you melanie and i want to i want to get into like the full melanie story like where are you from what did your early career look like and how did all of that lead you to where you're at today like give us give us the full scoop 
This is a terrible question to ask me because I feel like anytime I'm asked this question, my instinct is to be like, so I was born in Teenage, New Jersey, and and I just like go all the way back. But let me let me try and keep it a little brief and focused. Yeah, I sort of it's one of those things where, you know, did I find HR? Did HR find me? I don't know. But I will say that interestingly enough, I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college, to enter the corporate world. And quite frankly, I just didn't know what I was doing. So I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know where to go. I had never even heard of HR. But through a program that I was a part of, I got introduced to coach the handbag company. And they were doing sort of this internship job fair uh, during college. And it was a terrible fit for all of the roles that they were interviewing for. And so I I sort of like saw that for what it was and decided, you know what, I'm just going to go talk to the people who put the event together. I'm just curious to know like what their thoughts were, how they decided to put this together. Like at the end of the day, I'm a very curious person. And so at that point when I saw like, oh, this is not for me and I don't have the skill set for it, it's fine. Let me me go do something else with my time. Um, It ended up being that they created an internship for me within the HR team because they just loved the curiosity that I brought to the table, this sort of like bigger picture thinking that I was going a step meta. We had like this really cool organic conversation. And so really that's kind of what set me off on HR. I I had the internship. They invited me back the following summer in a different field. So I started with recruiting Then they brought me back in learning and development fell in love with that. When I graduated from college, I still wasn't sure. So I went to teach English in China for a year, realized, oh, heck no, I really do love training and development. And so, yeah, sort of from there, I went into the media industry. I was fortunate enough to find a company that was scaling quickly. It was hard. I was working 12 to 14 hour days for years. I'm not saying that I recommend that for everyone. It was the right thing for me at that time. I was just like fully driven and ambitious. And that's what I wanted out of my life at that point. And the really cool thing is it did pay off. I grew really quickly in that company. By the time I left, I was VP level and I was in a really good opportunity uh, in a good place to then join Athena, which has just really instrumentally changed my life and the way that I think about business, my career, pursuing things that I want, putting myself out there and thinking about myself and not just how I'm bettering the company, but how I'm bettering myself and how I'm helping others. And so, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about, about me. Love it. Love this story. And I feel like that's the perfect segue into Athena. And I'm trying to remember the first time that Athena popped up on my radar, but I think I shared this with you, Melanie. I, the thing that struck me immediately was like the, um, like the fun and like quirkiness of the brand, I guess. I think I watched like one of y'all's, you know, I'll let you describe what Athena does, but I watched one of the videos, some of the content that y'all were creating. And I was like, oh, this is different. Like <laughs> there's something different about this. So how how would you describe what, what Athena does like to somebody in your family? Like if you're trying to give them like a very simple answer. I like that you you word it from like a family perspective because, you know, the reality is when I'm talking about it, we're a compliance platform. That's what we are. We do harassment prevention, tra- training, DEI training, management training, uh, hotline, sort of all that stuff. The reality is if I said that to my family, they would have no idea what I was talking about. So if I was to describe, if I were to describe it, generally speaking, I think the best comparison I can think of is think about all the like required stuff that you are forced to do in regular life that is not fun. It's it's necessary, but it's not fun. If you think about having to apply for a driver's license, having to apply for a passport, having to fill out your financial aid paperwork for college, imagine if we could make that process easy, actually enjoyable, and you learned something about, from, from the process. That's sort of what Athena does. We take what you know can be really boring trainings like harassment prevention, even though it's critically important, right? And we make it actually engaging and useful so people learn from it and will pay attention. Studies show that when something in t- involves humor, when something is actually engaging, people retain the information. And so that's that's what we have tried to do. I I always say, unfortunately, I have taken harassment prevention trainings prior to joining Athena where people walked out making more jokes about harassment than they did before the training. And so Athena works really, really hard to not be that company. We we are the company where we take it seriously, but also we make it enjoyable. And so that's a little bit about what Athena does. So this, this next question is a new question that we've only asked, I guess, ever once on the show. 
And oh. I, so what happened was I was digging through all of our old content yesterday and I stumbled upon this this clip from Katie Burke that never seemed to make the light of day. And she wanted to share like some of her early failures as an HR leader, because, you know, from the outside and it looks like she's this massive success that's never like made any mistakes. So she wanted to be vulnerable and share some of her early failures. So we thought that uh, and hopefully we're not throwing you off by asking you a question that we didn't send you in advance. But like what what are, you know, one or two failures that, you know, really shaped how you work today, or maybe it shifted your perspective? Like, what are some of the failures that you've learned the most from? Oh my gosh, I don't think we have enough time. I've made so many mistakes in my career, in my personal life. At the end of the day, they were all great learning opportunities. Uh, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but I learn a lot from mistakes because they stick with you, right? Especially if they impact other people. You don't want to do that again. From from silly, small mistakes like a payroll issue to bigger mistakes, for example, handling a personnel issue not as effectively as you could have. I've experienced them all. I guess if I'm thinking of a specific example, honestly, it, it's probably not having balance in my approach. I think for a long time, I was very rigid. This is the way things are done. So that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to question why we do it this way. That's how it was informed. That's how I was trained on this thing. So I'm going to do it. And that really led to a lot of missed opportunities, a lot of reasonable conflict. It, it led to me shutting myself off from hearing people and understanding that there could be a better way than the way that I was doing something. And so um, certainly I think just being too rigid, not having enough balance has been one of those great mistakes early on from my career that I, I really have tried to, to learn from. And so now whenever I get pushed back, it's sort of like, oh, tell me more. Like, oh, poke holes in this, please. Like, I want to understand what a better way could look like. How would you handle this differently? And the question, why do we do this this way? Why, why has it always been this way? Maybe there's a better way. I love that. And I think that just hearing you talk earlier, we were just ripping about why HR people should, should explore more business focused tasks or roles by working with HR tech companies. And what you were describing also, there's a lot of failure in being a people leader, right? you're testing things. There's no playbook. There's no silver bullet for how an HR people function will operate most efficiently or in the best way for a company because every company is so different, right? And it's such a, a specific, unique thing. And yeah, there are best practices and yeah, there are metrics. Well, it's kind of the same being a CEO for a startup, right? There's There are metrics. If you're in SaaS, there are metrics that you're you're shooting for, but there's no silver bullet or exact playbook that will lead to success and growth of, of your startup. And so what you were just sharing was was really, really relatable for me. And I think it's just another example for why HR people should consider <laughs> working for tech startups. I will add something else, because something you said really sort of sparked with me, which is this, this idea of that relationship between the CEO and the, the head of HR. Oh, I think that part of the rigidity Part of why these issues persist for so long with so many HR leaders, including myself, is that I don't think CEOs take the time to explain why they are disagreeing with something. So if I put forth a proposal and I'm being rigid about it, the CEO more often than not will just be like, no, we're not doing that. Next thing, next topic. Instead of saying, I like where you're going. But no, we're not doing that. Here's why. Here is the impact that it will have to the business. Here, here are my top priorities right now. I need you to help me focus on those. Right? There's no sort of like actual interactive discussion. And I think that comes a lot from the fact that because the truth of the matter is that HR professionals are not directly revenue producing. We, I, I'm a full believer that we are revenue producing, but we are indirectly revenue producing, right? I think we should just acknowledge that. I think that CEOs don't see the point in investing as much time in their heads of people. Uh, by contrast, they will invest plenty of time in their heads of sales because that is very critical. So if I don't agree with you, we, I need to explain to you why so that you can then fix the thing. And I think that unfortunately, too many heads of people never get that same level of mentorship and guidance and an open and honest communication about why something is or isn't working. That's a great point. Everyone is accountable 
for his or her actions at a company, even the CEO. It, arguably, the CEO is the most accountable because every problem, everything that goes wrong, ultimately, the CEO is held accountable. Because there could have been a decision made, there could have been more questions asked, there could have been, there is actually someone who could have influenced doing things differently. That's the CEO. And ultimately, the board is the CEO's boss, right? That's the person, that, that's the group of people that the board, the, the CEO is accountable to. And if the board doesn't want it, and the board is like, no, the focus is profitability. And anything that we do that veers us off profitability, you're talking about Killing shareholder value. And, and so it's like that, that's a very short conversation for a CEO. And so I, uh, again, all of that is so relatable. And I, I think when we think about where we are today, I, I feel like if I am a people leader, the, the exhaustion is real. And, and, and I, I have to imagine disappointment. I, I'm feeling really disappointed and almost like a slap in the face. If we think about, we go back to 2020, pandemic hits, all the way to about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, everything was, it was exciting, right? It was scary and it was uncertain, but it was exciting to be in HR because there were so many problems that had to be solved. Almost every single problem was a people problem. Again, generally speaking, I think all business problems are people problems, but just, you know, follow me here. And so everyone was collaborating. Everyone was troubleshooting. Everyone was invested in the employee perspective. And, and so there, there was more communication. There was more collaboration from the CEO, from the, from the C-suite. Today, it's very different. And it feels like almost like the opposite of that environment. To your point, you're probably getting shut down more often than not. Um, there's, probably little conversation around why you're being shut down. And it feels like we've regressed. I, I can see how it would feel that way. And, and so I'm just curious, like, does that resonate with you and the experience you're having and the people leaders you're talking to? So I'm really fortunate that at Athena, those aren't challenges that I have to face in, in the sense that I don't feel like I have to prove the HR case to Athena. Like, I think we get it. I'm very fortunate that I have a great relationship with my CEO. She she tackles everything with humility and curiosity. So she'll, she'll uh, what's the saying that she has? Um, uh, strong, I think it's uh, strong convictions loosely held. So, hey, I have a strong opinion, but I'm open to pushback, you know? And so it just means that we can have all these open discussions However, absolutely, I have heard time and time again, the more people experts that I chat with, this is absolutely a problem and it's draining and it's not the job that they signed up for when they joined two years ago and people aren't open to having conversations. There's no compromising. People are talking past each other instead of to each other and actually listening. And I think I have a ton of empathy for it because I've been in an experience in an environment like that where it just feels absolutely hopeless and I also am so fortunate now to be in a position where I have a CEO who does ask me questions that now I know that there are actually ways that I could have better handled that those difficult conversations at my last company. You know, we were talking about, oh, this, the CEO is not telling you why they're saying no, right? Well, now I know enough to know to ask the question, okay, is this a no forever? Is this a no for now? What would it take to turn this no into a yes? Help me understand your priorities so that I can better cater to those. What is it that you're optimizing for? Because I thought we were optimizing for this. So if we're optimizing for something else, please explain it to me so I can partner with you on that or explain why I think that's the wrong thing to be optimizing for, right? At the end of the day, it's not, I'm not the CEO. It's not my decision to make, but it is my job to bring my perspective to the table. That's literally why they are paying me. And it is my job to ask smart questions to better, uh, to make sure that I'm better advocating for the things that I think are right. Even if in the end they say no, it's still my job to have presented all the necessary information for the CEO to then make that final decision, including my recommendation. And so I have complete empathy. I think it is absolutely right that people are feeling completely demoralized. And also, I wish that there were better resources and mentors out there for HR leaders, because I do think that, you know, in times of difficulty, 
these actually are, the, in my opinion, they present the greatest opportunity for innovation because you have to find ways to do more with less. You have to get really buttoned up about what your values are and who you are as a company. You have to be really, really articulate about what the team is optimizing for because you got to be aligned. You, you got to be one team or you're going to fall apart. And so I think that there's opportunity here, but I don't think that the people function has been well-supported or developed or well-resourced and equipped to then navigate these increasingly difficult times. Yeah, I I agree with with almost everything you're saying. If if we go back to the original good news stories, right, where we were talking about the feedback we're hearing, we're doing these interviews. And so do you think that these are, are these learned behaviors? Like, is it unique to you and the experiences that you've had that you were able to quickly or not so quickly learn uh, how to approach these conversations? Is it truly a mentoring? Is it part skill set, part, part mentoring, parts addressing skill gaps? Like, what is the big, what do you, what, what is the actual problem? Is it something about the people function itself that puts us in a position where we can't push back or we can't ask the probing questions or we're not given enough time. Like, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on all of this. And I, I, I recognize we've completely taken you away from our outline for today. Oh, I love so. it. I love it. This is better because it's organic. It's sort of going with the flow of what we are finding most interesting. I, I have, okay. So I have a normal take and I have a hot take. Okay. My, my normal take, my like neutral warm take is I think part of the issue is you don't know what good looks like until you've seen it. At my last company, I didn't have anyone to show me what good looks like. And so I, like I struggled for myself to envision what that could be. And that's not to say that I shouldn't take accountability. Of course, I, I should take accountability and I could have researched on my own, but I was young, I was new and I wasn't, I was just following what everybody else was showing me, you know? And when I joined Athena, one of the first things that happened, one of the first big initiatives that I partnered on with my CEO was a manager training rollout. And I was still very much in that antiquated perspective of, you know, it's going to take me three months to put this together. It's got to be perfect. They're going to be two hour sessions. It's going to be super rigorous. I'm going to need all this time from the managers. And my manager, thankfully, so my CEO, Roxanne Petraeus, at the time was like, listen, I agree. You've, you've won me over that management training is a must. And also, I can tell you right now, there's no way we can dedicate that much time to it. And also, I can tell you right now, I'm not waiting three months for it. I want it in like three weeks. And so, and here's the thing. It was it was a very amicable discussion. I'm like truncating it, right? I'm abbreviating it for the sake of time. But what I loved about it was that I realized, oh, she's right. Why would I wait three months to put an entire training together without getting any feedback? And then I roll out the training and I find out I went the wrong way. I picked the wrong topics. I didn't create it in an engaging way. Instead, we switched to an agile approach. I didn't know all the trainings that I was going to do at the beginning. I picked one topic that we knew was the most important. We trained and then we collected feedback. How'd this go? Was this helpful? We made changes. What topic do you want next? And we iterated along the way rather than doing, in my opinion now, what was this really old school approach of me? And I realized also I can do the training in one hour. It doesn't have to be two hours. I can give them async resources. I can, you know, pack a punch. I don't have to walk. I don't have to talk for 15 minutes. I can have one slide with three really punchy tips that they can then extrapolate upon. And so you know, I think like why sometimes it can be hard to to push your agenda as an HR person is that I don't think that we have enough people who are willing to openly engage with us about why it's a no, what would make it a yes, and and aren't willing to even be open to our perspective. It's like that seems stressful to me, just hard no for all of it, right? As opposed to, okay, let's find a middle ground. My hot take, okay, really? is I think there are some real dynamics that we just have to acknowledge, right? We we opened the session by talking about the fact that I was your first Hispanic uh, a guest. I'm guessing I'm also your first Hispanic woman guest, right? And you know, when you when you think about the dynamics, the reality is that the people function is primarily made up of women. A good chunk of us are women of color. I absolutely don't want to generalize and say that women are this or women of color are this, but I will say that there are power dynamics at play because if you look at most CEOs, they identify as men. 
many of them white men. And so you then take these two people who are coming from these very different life experiences and different worlds. And on top of that, you are my boss. You have power over my employment. You are also the CEO of this company. Now add to that other dynamics. I'm the first person in my family to enter the corporate workforce. I was raised to be very quiet, keep my head down, work hard, don't push back, don't stir the pot. You take all of that and now you tell me, go fight the CEO. Go, go fight the CEO. And it's intimidating. And I think that we need to be open about that. I think a lot of people are scared to acknowledge that because they think it makes them look weak or like, I don't have as much confidence. I'm not as professional because I can't speak up for myself. I think it's important to acknowledge, no, there are all these things working against me. And it's not an excuse, right? I'm not, it's not an out, but it's important to acknowledge those things because the more aware I am, the more self-aware, the more of these conversations I can have, the more intentional I can be about overcoming some of these learned behaviors from my childhood to empower myself in the workplace, which I, I think we need to be honest, someone from a different demographic maybe doesn't have as many things that they have to fight and as many things that are working against them. And so my hot take is that some of it, quite frankly, it's dynamics, power dynamics, racial dynamics, gender dynamics, socioeconomic dynamics, educational privilege dynamics. I'm very privileged that I graduated from Harvard. Many people are intimidated by that. I have people on my team who tell me that they are scared to say an idea that feels dumb because I went to Harvard, so I must be so smart. And it, it, it makes me feel so bad. Like I understand it, but it makes me feel so bad because that's not what I want to do. And so I have to be really mindful about that when I'm interacting with people. And so, yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot, a lot, a lot to unpack when, when, when you ask the question, why do people experts sometimes struggle with these things? And so like in the context of like everything that you've shared, like what, what conversations should we, we be having? How do we, how do we specifically on the hot take, like what, you know, what are the conversations? What are the areas of support we need to offer each other? Like, you know, any, any thoughts there? Do actually have some thoughts. And I know when people start to talk about like DEI and that sort of thing and power imbalances and privilege, less privilege, I think sometimes the instinct, um, the, the really popular instinct is sort of like make assumptions about what someone does or doesn't know and like overcompensate. I actually don't think that's the right approach. I think the approach is to remove all assumptions and lead with curiosity. So asking the question, hey, we need to have a good relationship here. Tell me about how familiar you are with the business, like the sales side of things, the engineering side of things. Okay, you feel good, great, let's move on. Oh, you don't feel good, great. I want you to like go do some research because I need you to be an expert on this, right? Hey, talk to me about how comfortable you feel pushing back on me because that is critical. Like I need you to be able to do that. Oh, you don't feel comfortable. Let's talk about why that is. I think we just need to have more open discussions. And that does require a level of education and insight and self-awareness on both sides, right? I focused a lot on myself, right? Because I like to think about like, what do I have power to control? Like what is within my power of agency? But I think from the CEO perspective, right? It, it might be that you are dismissing my opinions because you have a stereotype of what HR is. You have a stereotype of what it is that I may or may not be optimizing for based on whatever, my background, my work experience, my field, my industry experience. And so I think it requires both sides to just come to the table with a sense of humility and curiosity and telling me what you need so that we can work together more efficiently. So I think you said Roxanne says that she has strong convictions loosely held. Is that right? That's and right. I imagine that that's the exact type of CEO that you want to work for as a people leader. And I'm curious, like for the for the people leaders out there that are maybe interviewing for their next people leader role or they're interviewing for their first first people leader role ever. Yeah, Steve, this is a good question for Steven. Like what questions should they be asking the CEO in that interview process to sort of suss out whether or not it's going to be somebody that's open? Ooh, and this is a this is a great question because you know to the executive recruiter I met with I was like I am open to these roles but it has to be a brand that I'm like passionate about their mission and it has to be a very specific CEO profile I'm looking for so I, I'm I'm very curious how my profile compares to to yours Melanie. Oh, okay. All right. I'm ready. I'll tell you the list that comes to, to mind. Um, I've talked about this in the past, actually. So let's see if I can remember. Um, I, I think first and foremost, the biggest areas where people tend to run into issues is alignment. 
on what the role and responsibility of an HR leader is. So I think first and foremost, you need to ask, like, tell me why you're hiring this role and what value you are hoping for this person to bring to the company. Like, how do you measure success of a head of people? Then I think there is also the the question of how we partner together. So talk to me about how you have partnered with a people leader in the past and how you hope to partner with people leader in this role and what worked for you and what hasn't worked for you. In particular, and this is really important, tell me about a time when you have disagreed with a people leader and how you navigate that conflict. It is really, really important that, in my opinion anyway, I'm not, I don't want to work at a company where I'm just a doer. You tell me what to do and you don't want my insight and I just do exactly what I say. I want this to be a partnership. So I need to know that you value my opinion, that you value pushback. I need to know that you have a clear understanding of the value that I bring to the table. And if you don't, are you open to that? Like, are you a new CEO and you're looking for me to educate you and almost be like a mentor? That's something that potentially I could be open to as well, right? But someone who isn't able to describe what I'm looking for, if they're describing like a very rigid, like, actually, I thought I wanted a thought leader, but really I just want a doer, right? Like you're going to figure that out really quickly with those kinds of questions. And then I think in addition to that, the last thing I would say is, you know, how and this isn't necessarily a question for the CEO directly. I think the the people leader who's interviewing for these roles should ask to talk to the different leadership team members across the team, because that's going to be valuable information too. Do they have in-house politics? How do they navigate conflict? Do they feel comfortable speaking up to the CEO? Does the CEO hear them and take their, their feedback? If, if the CEO says no, do they explain a clear, articulate reason as to why they are disagreeing? It's okay for your CEO to disagree, but they need to, they need to explain why, right? It can't just be this dictatorship of no, don't ask questions. And you want to make sure that you will have allies within the company, are these leadership team members also bought into the concept of HR and are they also going to partner with me? So I think those are sort of the areas of questions that you'd want to make sure that you were covering if you were interviewing for a role. And yeah, I love all of those. And I would add like, you know, walk me through an instance when the board gave you a mandate that was in conflict with our vision and values and how you approach that conversation. Oh, I love that. Yeah. See, you can tell you're really thinking from the business perspective. Look at that with your, your business savvy. I love it. And I feel like a, a common story that we hear is I did a little bit of this discovery in my interview process. The CEO told me one thing and then five months later, they completely forgot whatever it was they said that were their priorities at the time. How do you, how do you, how do you make sure that doesn't happen as a new people leader? Like you get the role, you've done all of this discovery, you've met with the leadership team, you know that the CEO's top three priorities, you know the board's top priority when it comes to people. Is it just like repeating yourself over and over again? Like making sure that you're speaking to those priorities every single week to remind them that those are the priorities? Like what else goes into sort of like that campaigning or, uh, yeah, like it almost feels like you have to convince people again every other month. I think, so my take is this. I think empathy and accountability go hand in hand. So I think the accountability piece is really important and also to protect yourself and to make sure that you're handling it from like a logical place and not a place that's sort of driven by too much emotion perhaps, right? I think a bit of empathy is really helpful too and to understand from their perspective yeah, it's probably really scary if the economy is going down and now for them, they are changing their priorities because now their number one priority is saving money. And I think when those times come, and it's happened at Athena as well, for the record, the thing that I have found to be most helpful is to remind everyone and ask the question, what are we optimizing for? As a company, what do we think is our biggest chance of success? Because that will help you come back to the most important thing, right? Okay, I understand that like you're trying to save money. So now you want to cut all these people budgets. I hear you. I hear you. But remember when we talked six months ago, we were optimizing for retain hiring and retaining the top talent because our argument and philosophy was we cannot succeed if we don't have top talent, right? So I hear that you want to cut money or I hear that you want to cut back on money. Is this the place where you want to cut back on money 
Or should we explore a lower impact place to cut money? Because this thing is going to severely impact our ability to retain top talent. And maybe the answer is yes. Like literally, we will go out of business if we don't do this. Cool. Let's talk about that. Usually that's not the case. Usually you would probably do a layoff, to be honest, before you did something that had a wide sweeping effect that lost all your high talent. But usually the answer actually ends up being, oh, you're right. There's another place where we can cut money. I don't know why my mind jumped first to, I don't know, salaries, which is the biggest one or benefits or PTO or whatever, right? So so just reminding people what the end goal is, how we decided that we wanted to optimize for that, and then thinking about, okay, so is there another way that you can do this other thing that you also want to do? I found to be really helpful because then we really do find, oh yeah, we could be saving money in other ways. Do you think that there is a home for every type of HR person. So is this a problem that CEOs, is this, is this like a CEO problem? Like they don't understand the people function well enough. And I'm speaking in broad terms, right? Cause I totally get there are CEOs that are innovative and cutting edge and forward thinking. They are people leaders themselves, right? But is this an issue with the with the CEO, how the the role is being defined, or is this just like a, a matchmaking issue? Because just like there's going to be people that are always going to want to work in office, even if the world full, truly does move to like a remote type of approach. Like I, I don't know. I any I thoughts there? Honestly, I think that there is a right company out there for everyone and a right person out there for every company. I really do believe this. And listen, I don't know if this, I don't know how this is going to be taken, but I really mean it in a judgment-free, neutral way. I think some people are really passionate about their jobs and being creative, and some people are not. Some yeah. people want a nine-to-five and they just want to do. And you know what? I have complete respect for those people if they know that that's what they want and they own it because right. that's okay. There's nothing wrong with saying, I want a nine to five job and I don't want to be involved in all this stuff. Great. Go find a company that meets those needs. Right. And that's why I think it's so important to ask those questions. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think there's a right or wrong for you. Um, so I actually really, really, I know people, I know people who have told me, yeah, I'm not about that. I want the least amount of responsibility. I just want to get through my job. I'm waiting for retirement here. And I used to be so judgmental about it. Now I'm like, you know what, more power to you. I love that you know what you want and you pursue it. I am, I think there's a job out there for everyone. And it's all about finding the right match. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And like I, the way that I look at this problem it has shifted just listening to you and, and having this conversation. And so we're going to keep having the conversations and and keep trying to figure out like how we really can help the people leaders out there be successful. Cause that that's really the end goal. And I think that's what people want. Um, so we're at that point. And uh, like I always say, we have to turn the corner and bring the conversation to a close. We, we, I absolutely don't want to, but, uh, but we have to. And so we're going into our rapid fire questions. It's the same set of questions we ask every guest. I'm going to jump right in. Um, first question. How do you define a modern people leader? What are the traits and characteristics? Balance. Uh, I think that there is balance. It's not all for the employee or all for the company. It is balance so that we can at, at, together achieve success. And that means being open, having humility. Your approach could be wrong, but also knowing when to push for your opinion, for what you think is right. Next question. If you could go back in time and talk to a 22-year-old you, what career advice would you give yourself and why? Um, probably to broaden my network. I think that I functioned in a silo. I sort of thought, oh, I already have a whole team of HR people around me. That's all I need. And I never bothered to put myself out there on LinkedIn to meet other HR people, to learn other people's thought perspectives. And so if I could change anything, I'd go and tell that girl, okay, go meet some people, some questions, learn some new things and try a new way of HR. Love it. Love it. Last question. Is there anything you believe to be true about the world of work, but don't yet have the data to support? Uh, I don't know if I have an answer, to be honest. Um, I will say that everything's a little bit data-driven, but everything's also a little bit motion driven I guess the thing that I believe to be true is that 
I think we're all people and we're all working for the good place and we're all just doing our best. And I think, I believe that over time, we're going to continue to get better as people and as partners. Uh, so that, that that's my answer. All right. So I know we have to get you out of here, but we just have a couple more traditions or one question and one tradition. So I, I do feel like we're in the midst of a LinkedIn celebrity. I feel like every day you have a post that's going viral. So I imagine that you have like this baller network now and probably have like a handful or probably even more people that you really respect. So I'm curious, like who do we need to bring onto the show next? Is there like one person or two people? Like who are those people? I think there are a lot of great people out there right now. Um, Lars Schmidt is a good one. Vanessa Kotler is a good one. Honestly, there's there's many. Uh, Kara from Lattice is a good one. Just so many people. It's really hard to limit. I literally go on LinkedIn and you will find just amazing people everywhere. Those are all great suggestions. We've had Lars on, we've had Kara on, and Vanessa's actually coming on the show here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Look at that. You I know. I don't make things up. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So our last tradition, one word or phrase close. So we all respond with a word or phrase from the episode we want to close with. And it could be anything that pops into your mind. And I can oh, go first ahead. since I, I had some time to think about it. I'm going to say we're all, right. all human. It's a good one. Um, I'll, I'll go. Uh, uh, community. Uh, I really, I'm, I'm not going to lie. There, uh, there's something really special about the fact that everyone on this call is Latinx. It makes me feel very happy. I feel really good about it. And I feel just like, I want more. <laughs> so yeah, that that's my answer, community. Love it. Love it. I, I mean, I'm just going to go with an extension of that. More Latinx. Like, come on, folks, let's do this. <laughs> yes. Where you at? Where you at? I'm looking for you. We are. Like, seriously, this is real. This is real. Well, this has been amazing, Melanie. Thank you so much for joining us. I know it was a long time coming. It's been an absolute blast having you on the show and, and really riffing. Thank you for being a good sport because this conversation was just really one big curveball, honestly. So I thank love you. It. Those are the best kind. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, we got to have a fascinating discussion. So really, really happy to be here with you all. Thank awesome. you. Have a great rest Bye. of your week, Melanie. Bye. Thanks for, for tuning in to another episode of the Modern People Leader. We we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We wanna we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening and, and see you on the next episode. Thank you.